Well, I welcome you today, uh, whichever campus of grace you're worshiping, we're so glad that you're here. And let me begin by just uh, extending from uh, Debbie and myself a very warm and a very merry Christmas. I hope this is indeed uh, your best Christmas ever. Uh, let me just reiterate what I know your lead pastor has said to you and uh, has been announced at your campus, but uh, let me just say there will be no services on Christmas Day. We have 12 on Christmas Eve. There are three at each campus, but on Christmas Day, no services. But there will be a message online along with some music that'll be featured there. The message is just brief. It's about 18 minutes. And uh, I, I hope that you'll go online and listen to that on Christmas Day. And I really believe that God will uh, speak to you through it. It's just a message of encouragement from Scripture, from Luke chapter 2. And uh, I, I hope that you'll take advantage of that as a family, as an individual, and that you'll go there and listen and uh, let God minister to you. I don't know if you heard about the couple who were working out in their yard. You see, it was an unseasonably warm day just before Christmas, and this 60-year-old couple was out there just kind of doing some things in their yard that needed to be done, and, and they came across this bottle. It looked kind of mysterious. had a cork in it, and sure enough, they popped the cork out, and out came a gene. And they knew, they had heard about these kind of things and jokes, you know, and they had heard stories about this kind of thing, but nothing like this had ever happened to them. And the genie said, look, I'm here. I'll grant you any Christmas wish you have. I'll give you an early Christmas gift, anything you want. He said, anything? Yeah, anything you want. And the woman said, oh my goodness. Well, I, I got to tell you, I, I, I've lived in this house ever since we got married. It's been three and a half decades now, and I, I, don't, I hope it's not too much to ask. I'm not being presumptuous, but I would really love, you know, to live in a mansion. And poof, like that, suddenly their modest home was a gorgeous mansion. It was humongous. Perfectly decorated. I mean, the landscaping was incredible. And she said, this is amazing. This is the greatest gift I've ever received. And then the genie turned to the 60-year-old man and said, well, it's your turn. What would you like? And he was kind of staring over strangely at his wife at that point. The genie said, come on, what, what is it? He said, well, I don't know if you can give me this. She said, yeah, anything you want. He thought he was sufficiently far away from his wife, and he said, well, I, I, I've always wanted to, be, wanted to be married to a woman 30 years younger than me, and poof, just like that, he was 90. <laughs> now, the moral of that story is you better be careful what you ask for this Christmas. I hope it's your best Christmas ever. We're in a series right now that's a bit different for Christmas. We're not looking at the manger scene and the details that we get out of Luke 1 and 2 and Matthew 1 and 2. Those are wonderful. I hope you'll read those. But we look at those every single year. This year, 
We're looking at Christmas out of Colossians chapter 1. This letter that Paul wrote to a group of Christians in a city called Colossae. And we've been looking at the why, the who, and the what of Christmas. First, why did Jesus come? And we found there in Colossians 1 that he came to qualify us, to rescue, and to redeem us. And then last weekend, we talked about who Jesus is, that amazing Christological section, Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20, where it talks about who Christ really is. Boy, that's something we ought to always read at Christmas time, because it reminds us of who this Messiah is who came from heaven to earth and was incarnated in flesh. But today, I want us to wrap this brief series up by talking about what Jesus offers. Sure enough, when people think about Christmas, they think about receiving and giving. And if Christmas is about what God really came to give us, then people want to know, what is that? I mean, does it last? How valuable is it? Is it something that'll go into the new year? Or does God really give us something that will last and last for eternity? We have a table set here today with place settings and chairs all around. It's really, really beautiful. And to me, this table represents probably something that most of you will do in the next several days. Uh, perhaps it'll be a family reunion where you'll gather around a table together for fellowship and, and warm conversation and getting reconnected. Or, or maybe it, it'll be a, just a, a special Christmas gathering with family and friends, maybe an office party or an occasion where people will come together who are really, really close friends and just share some special time. And I believe that for some of you, what you experience around this table will be the highlight of your Christmas. Maybe you're looking forward to talking to that special aunt, and you just don't get to see her much, so you're looking forward, you're hoping that you'll be seated next to her so that you can kind of reconnect but for some of you, your expectations won't be met. And you won't get to sit by who you want. Instead, you'll be seated by your cousin Eddie, yeah? The one who will be wanting to eat the rest of your apple pie or ask you for a short-term loan, you know, just till he gets himself back on his feet. But I pray that for you, your time around the table will be very, very special. One thing I know, this table represents for most of us something very wonderful. It represents togetherness and warmth and acceptance. It's one of the most amazing gifts of Christmas. It represents, hey, everybody's at peace. It means that if there was any hostility in the past, any animosity, it's all been forgiven. It's in the past. It's gone. And we're reconciled with one another. We're friends. We're family. And we're sharing this special time 
together. Well, with that in mind, I want to share with you, as we think about what Christ offers, I want to share with you three gifts that he indeed offers to us, not just at Christmas, but all year round. And he offers these gifts to those who are willing to open their hearts to him. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, I'm convinced of this. I know this for a fact. These gifts are relevant and real for you. And these are gifts that every single one of us, no matter how good or bad, no matter how virtuous or evil, as the case may be, our lives are. These gifts are relevant to every one of us. So here we go. Here's some things that according to Colossians 1, Jesus Christ offers to us. First, he offers you a pardon for your past. I'm just going to pick up right where we kind of left off last week. Uh, Verse 21 reads like this. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. Now, I I don't want anyone to miss what Paul says here. He says that we've been alienated. Another word used there sometimes is separated from God. And by the way, that's what Scripture makes clear, that our sins have separated us from God. Here, Paul calls it our evil behavior. I don't know what that would be for you. I know it is what, what it is for me. For you, it it might be something that you stole from someone or a lie you told or credit you took from the boss for doing something that you really didn't do. It might be an abortion that you funded just because you wanted to keep a secret a secret. It might be the selfish, sinful behavior you engaged in that caused a marriage that had some potential, really, to implode and disintegrate. And it was because of your action, your evil behavior, your selfishness that perhaps that occurred. Or it might be just living a very self-centered life that puts you ahead of everybody else when, when God has called us to live with sort of an others first mentality. But whatever it was, Paul says, this selfish, evil behavior has separated us from God. And what he says here is really good news at Christmas. It says that's why Jesus came to earth. He came to provide the opportunity for a pardon from our past, a pardon from the sins that we're all guilty of. Now, I've actually met some people in my life, some of you may find this hard to believe, but when they hear that God's job is to forgive us, they go, that's God's job? Well, that's what he wants to do? He wants to forgive sin? Well, listen, I better get out there then and give him something to forgive. If that's God's job, I'm gonna sin boldly so God can do his job. That kind of attitude is a disgrace to grace. It stinks to high heaven, to be honest with you. 
So I want to be clear that God's amazing grace, his offer of a pardon for our past extends not to people who have an arrogant, in-your-face God attitude. No, no. God says to the person who's broken in spirit and humble in heart, that's the person I'm close to. I want to come to the person who acknowledges their need for forgiveness and who understands that they really need a pardon. I have some of the most amazing conversations at Grace. Some of you wouldn't believe how rich and how deep they go sometimes. And often within just a few moments, they really go to something very personal and meaningful. I'll never forget a conversation I had some weeks ago with a woman I, I didn't really know, but she's relatively new to Grace. And, and she said, Pastor, it's good to meet you. And we chit-chatted for a while. And then she got to the heart of the matter, and I've never forgotten what she said. She said, you know the difference that Grace has made in my life? She said, I've got my eyes in a different place. And I kind of looked a little confused, I guess. I said, tell me what you mean, if you don't mind. You got your eyes in a different place. She said, yeah. I used to think that I was a pretty good person before I came here because I'd been to church a lot and I saw myself as kind of upright and religious. But, but she said, I had my eyes, when I came to Grace, I had my eyes on other people. I was always playing the comparison game. I was looking out at others and thinking about how superior I was to them and thinking, isn't God fortunate to have me on his team? She said, that's really the way I was. And I kind of I chuckled. I said, well, what's changed? She said, it's amazing. My life's totally different now. I don't have my eyes on other people doing a comparison thing. She said, I, I now have my eyes on Christ. And she said, when I look at Christ, I see that I'm not really the amazingly wonderful person I thought I was all this time. Oh, I may be better than others, but compared to Christ, I see how deep my need really is. And I see that I need my sins forgiven. And she said, God has totally revolutionized my life. That was such an encouraging conversation. And I just, I just can't help but wonder today if that might be you. If maybe like this dear woman, maybe there needs to be a shift of where you're looking. Maybe you've been comparing to others and thinking you were superior, but maybe it's time we got our eyes on Christ and realize how desperately in need we really are for forgiveness and pardon. Well, that's what Jesus came to do. But secondly, this text tells us that Jesus offers you and me a purpose for our lives. He offers you a purpose in life. Now, I meet a lot of people, as some of you do, a lot of conversations, and, and often I get the thrill. It's a privilege, really, to talk to people about their future and where they're going. I, I love that conversation. I just love to ask people about their direction in life. To me, that's a really important thing. But here's the thing that amazes me. When I ask most people, and don't worry, I, I, won't, ask, I won't ask you today this, so I won't put you on the spot, okay? So don't, don't sweat this. But when I ask most people, hey, where are you going in life? What's your purpose? They fumble and mumble and really struggle with a response. 
I've got good news for you today. This says that Jesus came to give us a purpose in life. We can know the reason that we're here. And perhaps even more important, he gives us the power to live the life he designed us to live. It's one thing to think, here's where I'm going. It's another thing to have the power to get there. And this says that that's what he provides. Look with me at verse 27b. God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. Now, here's the phrase. Here's the phrase I really want you to get, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, here's the mind blower. Here's the mind blower of this passage. That God actually, when we repent of our sin, when we say, I need pardon and forgiveness, Lord, please forgive me. He says he not only forgives our sin, he adopts us into his family. And here's the kicker. He actually comes inside of us. We become his temple, and he begins to change us from the inside out. In other words, he's dwelling in you. You say, Pastor, I have trouble believing that. A sinful person like me, how could God ever come and dwell in me? Well, here's the thing. From then on, when he looks at you and me, he doesn't see our sin. He sees his son. He doesn't see the crud I do. He sees Christ in me. And that makes all the difference. He is our hope of glory. Christ in you. Paul goes on in verse 28 to say, we proclaim him, that is Jesus Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. Now, I hope you're listening. If you're here today and you're lacking purpose in life, if you're one of those wandering generalities who just kind of gets up every day and don't know why you exist and don't know where you're headed in life, this is good news. This is what Christ offers. He said, look, I don't want to just give you a great destination to look forward to. I want to actually come in your life and be your guide on how to get there. Wow. He's actually going to come inside and guide us into that personal growth plan. And what is his personal growth plan? I sometimes talk to people, and by the way, I've always had a personal growth plan in my life. I'm a person who believes that that God puts a lot of responsibility on us. And he says, look, I've given you basic abilities and aptitudes I've been giving you gifts and opportunities, but look, it's on you to do something with that. That's what I believe. That's what I believe, Scripture teaches. And so I've always had a personal growth plan of what I was going to do to try to cooperate with God's grace. Well, listen, here's your personal growth plan. He says, I've designed you to be fully mature in Christ. How's that for a growth plan? Perfect is the word that's used there. The word means fully mature. Everything that I designed you to be. And Paul says, look, we proclaim Christ. We share him because he wants to pardon people's past. He wants to give them a purpose and a reason 
for living. You say, well, boy, proclaiming Christ, pastor, I'm not cut out for that. I'm an introvert. I'm shy by nature. I want you to know I'm not very bold. I'm not a real courageous person. I'm a little more timid. I could never do what Paul says here he's all about doing. I could, I even have trouble inviting people to Christmas service. Can I tell you something? When Christ begins to change you by the Spirit of God from the inside out, he will give you the boldness you need. By the way, this is a great time of year to begin to invite people. I hope you know that. It's kind of hard for somebody to say no when there are 12 options for services. You kind of got them over a barrel there, right? You invite people and they say, ah, well, it doesn't fit my schedule, and they'll give all kinds of excuses. But if you want to get involved in the business of representing Jesus well, this is a golden opportunity, I want to tell you. And you're going to have that opportunity on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday of this week. You're going to have that opportunity on Thursday of this week and Friday of this week and Saturday of this coming week to invite people. You'll be able to say, look, we got 12 services. Three at each of our locations. It's kind of hard for them to wimp out of that. But God can use you to help draw people to Christ. Paul says our goal is to be fully mature, to grow to full maturation with Christ, a fully Christ-centered life. And notice what he says in verse 29. He says, to this end, I labor struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. That's a word right there about this struggling that comes straight out of the ancient gymnasium. It'd be like a CrossFit athlete today who's giving every ounce of energy he or she has and they're sweating profusely and every muscle is taut and they're giving all their energy. Paul said, look, that's how hard I go after this this goal. What's the goal? Not only that he would be fully mature, but that he would be able to help others get there as well. Imagine that. By the way, do you, are you lacking meaning in life? Do you need any more purpose than you currently have? I, God's got a great plan here. He says, look, I got two things for you. I want you to work on your own maturity, and I want you to help others get there too. And Paul says, look, I give that every ounce of energy I've got. That's why I get up every day. And folks, that's a purpose worth living for. Many of you know that Emmanuel, that little word we hear at Christmas time, means God with us. Can I tell you what it doesn't mean? It doesn't mean God was with us but left. (laughs) Can I tell you what it also doesn't mean? Emmanuel also does not mean God will be with us one day, but he's not here yet. Many of you are struggling this season. Maybe you're struggling with depression or all kinds of defeating thoughts and so on. Here's the news of Christmas. Emmanuel means not he was or he will be. God is with us in this moment right now giving you everything you need to be all he designed you to be. Wow. That is good news at Christmas. But there's one final thing I want to mention here as we move toward our close. 
He wants to give us a pardon for our past, purpose for living. But he wants to offer you a place at his table. Again, as I started by saying, <laughs> this table represents warmth and togetherness. It, I think it represents for most of us some of our fondest memories, really. Acceptance, people that mean so much to us. And maybe it means so much to you because there was a time when some of those relationships around the table weren't that great. It, it was rocky, to be honest, kind of prickly. But all has been forgiven. You're a part of the family. You're all in this together. And that seat at the table reminds you of that. In verse 19, we read, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that is in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself. The word reconcile means to make enemies friends. It means to break down the hostility that separated people. It means to put people at peace with one another again, to become friends. That's what reconcile means. To himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That's what this table represents. Scripture literally says... We were at war with God. The word alien, alienated actually seems a little too mild here, I believe. It's, like, it's an okay translation. The word is literally enmity. It literally means war. We were at war with God because of our evil behavior and our attitudes. We'd shut God out of our life. We said, I, I'm going to hijack my own life, God. Thank you. I can do this on my own. But through Christ, God says, I want to reconcile you back to myself. You know, it's kind of interesting. When Jesus was on the cross, a lot of things were said to him, actually. And, but Scripture makes clear that one of the things that was said is people, people reviled him. People criticized him. And one of the critiques they gave, one of the sarcastic comments that was made, he saved others. Can he not save himself? That phrase, by the way, was dripping with irony because Jesus knew he had a choice on the cross. He could either save himself or he could save you. Did you know that? Jesus had a choice when he was on the cross, receiving all this criticism, all this sarcasm and bitterness from people. He had a choice. He could save himself by coming down, or he could save you and me by staying up there. I hope you appreciate the fact that he chose you. And that's what kept him on the cross because he was there to pay the penalty that my sins and yours demanded. And the good news of Christmas is that now, because of what he did there, his shed blood, which can atone for, it can forgive my sin and yours, we can now have a seat at his table. Paul Harvey used to tell a story every Christmas a great storyteller he was. 
And I think this story captures as well as anything I've ever heard what Christmas is all about. And I close with this. It's a story about a modern person, really. One of us. He was not a Scrooge. He was a kind, decent, mostly good man, generous to his family, and upright in his dealings with other people. There there was just one thing. He didn't believe all this incarnation stuff, you know, all this stuff the churches talk about at Christmas time about God coming to earth and being incarnated in flesh. It, It just, come on, it didn't make sense to his intellectual mind. He was too honest to pretend otherwise. He just wasn't a believer. He was too honest to pretend otherwise. And so he said to his dear wife, I'm not going to go to church with you and the children this year. I'd much rather stay home. He said he would feel like a hypocrite if he went. So he stayed and they went. Shortly after the family drove away in the car, snow began to fall. He went to the window to watch the flurries as they got heavier and heavier, then returned to his fireside chair to get caught up on reading his newspaper. Well, moments later, he was startled by a thudding sound and then another and another. First, he thought the neighbor's kids must be throwing snowballs at the living room window. But when he went to the front door to investigate, he found a flock of birds huddled miserably in the snow. They'd been caught in this winter storm and in a desperate search for shelter had tried to fly right through his large landscape window. Their contacting that window had made the the thudding noise that he had heard. Well, something about these birds strangely warmed his heart. He wanted to help them. And so he quickly thought of the barn where his children stabled their pony. Ah, now that would provide a good shelter if I can direct the birds to it. So he quickly put on his coat and galoshes and tromped through the deepening snow down to the barn. He opened the barn doors wide and turned on a light. But the birds did not come in. He tried catching them with his hands, but he couldn't. He he tried walking around them, trying to kind of guide them or shoo them in to the warm, safe, yellow-lighted doorway of the barn, but instead his movement just scared the birds more. They scattered in every direction except into the safe, warm place of salvation where they could live. Ah, he figured food would entice them in. So he hurried back to the house and fetched some breadcrumbs and sprinkled them on the snow, making a trail to the wide-open, yellow-lighted doorway of the barn. But to his dismay and frustration, the birds ignored the breadcrumbs and continued to flop around helplessly in the snow. He just couldn't think of anything else to do. He didn't know what might work. And then he had a strange thought. He, <laughs> he chuckled to himself as he thought it. If only I could be a bird myself, he thought. If, he, if only I could be a bird and 
speak their language, tell them not to be afraid, and show them the way. But then I'd have to be one of them so they could see and hear and understand. At that moment, the church bells reached his ears. And he stood there listening to the bells. Adeste Fidelis, O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. And he sank to his knees in the snow. I suppose if the world had needed more amusement, God might have sent an entertainer. If the world had needed more knowledge, God might have sent an educator. If the world needed more money, perhaps God would have sent an economist. But what we really needed was forgiveness. And God sent Emmanuel, God with us. His name is our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me ask you a question as I close. Like that gentleman, have you ever had an aha moment? A a, a moment where it just kind of all came together. A moment where God put the pieces of the puzzle together for you and where you realize that, that this is all about an invitation. It's all about an invitation to a table. It's all about God saying, look, I, I, don't, I don't want us to be estranged and alienated any longer. I've done everything I need to do. But you have to make your move. And that's what God offers to, to you this year. If that's what you need. If you're in that place where you say, look, I, I realize now that I need my past pardon. I need a purpose in life. I need, I need a seat around the page. God's, God's here right now. He's pulling the chair out. He's saying, hey, this is for you. I've saved this place for you. This is your seat. This is your place at the table. And he, he wants you to be a part of his family I'm going to ask you to bow your head right now, and we're going to pray together in just a moment. But before we pray, I'm going to ask you to uh, just do something for me, if you would. I'm going to ask you if, if God has moved in your heart, and it doesn't matter how you got here. It doesn't matter what journey you've been on, really. It doesn't even matter what you've done in your past. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter what kind of person you've been. Here's the news of the gospel, that God says, I'll meet you right where you are. Right where you are. And I I want to give you a seat at my table. I want to give you forgiveness of sin and a purpose in life. If you've been brought by God to a place of understanding that, you know what, that's that's what you need. You, You really do want to open your life up to Christ today. I just ask you right now, while heads are bowed and people are respecting your privacy and you can just remain anonymous in this moment, just you and God, I'm going to ask you as I'm just looking out, I'm going to ask you just to slip your hand up and say, Pastor, I'd, I'd just like to say that that's where I am today. Would you just slip your hand up real quick? 
Thank you back there. I see your hand in the back. Thank you. I see that. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks for your honesty. Just, just say, look, I need that. Thank you right there. Thanks. Yes, I see your hand. Anybody else? Just before we pray. All right, thank you so much right here. God bless you. And even if you didn't raise your hand, I'm going to ask you just to pray this prayer with me. Those of you who did indicate your need for Christ, and even if you didn't, I'm going to ask you, and you know you need him, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me just silently. Just pray it silently right where you are. Oh, God, I know I need you. Please forgive all of my sin. Please adopt me into your family. Give me a purpose. Give me a seat at your table, Lord. Begin to change me from the inside out. Father, I pray for all the people that you've brought to that place today that this would be an awesome new beginning and this Christmas would be indeed, indeed the best ever because they've realized what you offer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. If you've prayed that prayer today, I invite you just to let someone know about what God has done in your life, to share that, to make it known. We'd love to be able to encourage you any way we can. God bless you.